to the church at Ephesus and basically talking to them about a whole bunch of things that really are relevant to us from a church thousands of years ago that actually we can identify with. They were going through the same issues, the same challenges, the same troubles, and he kind of just redirects them towards Jesus through a whole thing, um, bunch of stuff. And I find that incredible that we can relate to that. Us being a harbor city called Durban, us being a people who have multi-cultures within our city, us having so many different gods that people worship, and it's very, very similar to the church in Ephesus. And through the series so far, we've learned a whole bunch of things. We've learned that our identity and our positioning can be found in Jesus. We've learned that we are in Christ and we are adopted into God's family. That actually He chose us before the foundations of the earth were even laid. I think that's absolutely incredible. Um, and Grant last week taught us so wonderfully that not only are we reconciled to God, but actually we are reconciled to one another through Jesus Christ. That actually every single natural human wall that we can put up because of our differences, whether it be age and race or maybe socioeconomic demographic or maybe because somebody's got more money than maybe we do, we see them very differently. But actually when we come into Jesus, we are all one family. And those differences are completely taken away and taken down. And I'm picking up straight off of that in Ephesians 3, chapter 7, verse 13. That's the passage we're going to be looking at this morning. If you've got your Bible, I'd love to read it with you. In Ephesians 3, verses 7 to 13, it says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to life for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he had realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. And what I'd love to do this morning is really just unpack this passage of scripture verse by verse, so we can understand the full impact of what Paul is saying to this church in Ephesus. So in verse 7 it says, Of this gospel I was made a minister, according to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of His power. And the gospel that he's talking about there is the good news about Jesus Christ. And the gift of God's grace has been given not only to Paul, but to all of us. The message of the gospel has been given to us as a gift. And this is something that Paul realizes as he begins to write this letter to the Ephesian church. It was the gift of a son who was sent from heaven down to earth to take a place as a sacrifice on a cross so that the whole of mankind can be redeemed and reconciled back to having a relationship with God the Father. It's an incredible gift of grace. And Paul has an amazing understanding of this gift that he's received. And he's got an overwhelming sense of responsibility not only to receive this gift, but also to share this gift with other people. And that's what he's writing to the Ephesian church here. He's saying, actually, this gift is so good, I've got to share it with other people. Because it is so incredible, because it is so full of grace, because it is so full of love. I've actually got to share this gift with other people. And it's a gift that wasn't only given to Paul, but actually it can be given to every single one of us. As all we've got to do is believe in Jesus. And when we receive this beautiful gift, we've also got an overwhelming responsibility to be able to share that gift with other people. But I'd love to take a break from Ephesians quickly, if I can. Who's been watching the Soccer World Cup? Anybody? I'm quite a fan, I'm getting quite irritated because my phone doesn't let me hear it on my TV, so I'm watching on the tiny screen, and it's all cool. I love watching these amazing soccer players get all around the world, come to Russia, and they're just performing the most incredible antics. 
It's so cool to see them curving the ball into the top net, to be able to block the ball at the last minute as a goalie, but to be able to take this free kick that chips it over a wall of defenders and into the net. Isn't it awesome to watch? Yo, this is a sporting crowd, I can see. People are pumped. We just finished the quarterfinals last night. We've got the semi-finals coming on Tuesday and Wednesday this week. If you don't know, you can watch the World Cup soccer. It's happening. Shoo! Some of these games have been nail-biting. In the second half of Japan versus Belgium, there were two goals from Japan in the 48th and the 55th minutes. And then Belgium comes back. One, two, now it's two all. And in the 94th minute, they score the winning goal. Incredible. I love this. <laughs> but I'm the only one. <laughs> but what I love about watching these guys, it kind of inspires you to play soccer. Right? For those of you who watch. So I took my kids down to a little soccer field and there's a little goal thing that's probably about half the size of this and Maddie's standing in the goals. I've got a daughter who's six and a son who's four. And it's so cool just to see them kind of dribble the ball around to um, kind of kick a couple of goals into the net. And when they score, they like do a little flying celebration they've seen on the TV. What's even more fun is when I kick the ball, I say, okay, run to it. And they're chasing each other to get the ball. And when one can't get it, they just pull the other one down. <laughs> it's just like, it's so funny to see that it's inside of all of us as human beings that actually the need to win and the need to just do it at all costs. <laughs> What's even better than watching that was scoring more goals than them. <laughs> because it is so incredibly easy. You just fake a shot and you kick it the other way. They're like, oh, Dad, you tripped me! <laughs> and you can out-dribble them like anyone. You actually feel like a a FIFA World Cup player when you're playing with little kids. If you don't have kids, you're welcome to use mine to <laughs> But while we were having half-time snacks, because it's a thing you've got to do with kids, um, I turned around from our little field to the field behind us, and there were two different matches going on. Of, I think it was like an over-20s game. The guys were playing in their league, really competitive. And I was looking at that and comparing it to the games I've been watching. And you see that actually when they try and out-dribble their opponent, they stumble over. Or maybe they try and kick it to a guy who's running on and they miss it and it bounces out. Or they go for a shot in the goals and it just goes like two meters wide. And they're not as good as the guys I've been watching on TV. And it's all good and well that when you play with kids you can feel like you're one of those guys. But actually when you get into an arena with people who are equal to your kind of size and ability, agility, they're probably much better than I am, but I'm sure I would get dominated on that field. And I think sometimes when we read these passages of scripture, we actually look at Paul and we go, Paul, you are incredible. You're out there planting churches, you're visiting new cities, you're talking to people about the gospel, you're introducing them to Jesus, you are changing people's lives, you've even been put in prison for the gospel. And we read these things and we're, we're excited by it, we back it, we go, go Paul, come on, this is so cool, you're doing so much stuff for Jesus, this is so incredible, you are the man, you are amazing. And Paul is like those FIFA players to us. Because he is kind of what we want to be, what we, what we look at, and we like, are so excited by it. But then we also compare ourselves to him, like I did with those other players. And we go, Flip, I, I don't know if I can share the gospel. I don't know if I can do what he's doing. He's going to a foreign city, he doesn't know any person, and he's preaching the gospel, standing on a box in the middle of the town, and he's telling people about Jesus. That is scary. He's in prison for Jesus. I don't want to go to prison. And we kind of, we look at Paul in that life, and we go, maybe this is not for me. Maybe actually I can't do this. Like that's Paul's job. I don't know if I could ever be a minister. But Paul in this passage says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. And we don't have to be Paul. We don't have to all be going and planting churches, because then we'll be nobody here. 
We don't all have to be going to prison to um, do things for the gospel, because then we'd all be in prison. And God's calling us not to replicate what Paul is doing. But what this passage is doing is actually prompting us to have a better revelation and understanding of the gift of grace that we have also received. It wasn't just given to Paul, it was given to every single one of us. Revelation is something that is a better understanding. Something has been revealed to you. So it's a process by which Jesus can reveal himself more to you. He can understand, or you can understand better what he has done for you on the cross. And this passage calls us to a better revelation of what Jesus has done in our lives. Paul's revelation of this passage is incredibly encouraging. That he understands overwhelmingly the gift of grace that was given to him by God. And it's that gift that enables him to become a minister. It's that gift that we too can receive that enables us to become ministers of the gospel. We don't have to compare ourselves to Paul and feel completely scared about some of the things that we don't have to match up to that he was able to do. But rather, it's actually calling for us to go, Jesus, remind me of your gospel. Remind me of your grace. Remind me of the things that you have set me free from, from the sins that you have washed away, from the guilt that you've taken away. And actually, because of the amazing grace that I find in you, actually, I want to tell other people how amazing you are. That's what this passage is calling us to. To minister means to tend to the needs of somebody. And there are so many people who do not know the name of Jesus. There are so many people who do not know of his rich grace that we can experience. There are so many people who didn't even know that he was the Son of God, the creator of the universe, who was seated up in heaven. And he came down to earth and humbled himself to become a man. And he would die on a cross and become the one sacrifice by whose blood all of our sins can be washed away and allows us access to have a relationship with God. There are people who don't know that. There are people who don't know that actually the guilt and the shame and the sins and the things that exist in their past can be completely taken away and they can be set free from those things when they come to know who Jesus is. They don't know that their lives can be completely changed by receiving this incredible gift of grace that Paul is writing about. And again, this passage prompts us to have a better understanding for ourselves in our lives about the great gift that we have received from Jesus. And it calls us as a result of receiving that gift to be able to share it with other people. Because we can all be ministers of the gospel. It's not just Paul's job. It's not just Grant's job. But actually all of us who have received that gift have an overwhelming responsibility once we understand how incredible that gift is to be able to share it with other people. And that's what this passage is calling us to. And Paul ends off this line by saying, it was given to me by the working of his power. Because Paul understands that actually the gospel can only be revealed to you by the power of the Holy Spirit. It can't just be through a conversation. It can't just be intellectual puzzle pieces that you kind of all click into place, and then you have a revelation and an understanding of it. He's actually saying, only by the power of the Holy Spirit was I given this incredible gift of grace. And through the conversations that we have with people, through the, the talkings and them coming to maybe listen to something or being inquisitive about something, only when the Holy Spirit comes and reveals it to them, then will they have an understanding of who Jesus is and the power of the gospel. It's by that same power that we will be enabled and empowered to minister the gospel to other people, to share the gospel with people, that the Holy Spirit will be able to come upon us, to be able to give us words to speak, and sentences to come and talk to somebody, as he comes upon us and actually empowers us to share the gospel with people. 
And that's what Paul's saying there in chapter 7, in verse 7. Sorry, this is a water break there, right? No confines of <laughs> In verse 8, Paul carries on to the verse to say, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. What I find so striking in this sentence is Paul's incredible humility to identify the fact that he is completely unworthy of God's grace. He says, actually, you know what? I am the least of all the saints. And we sit there thinking, Paul, you're not the least of the saints. You're this incredible dude who's traveling around the world, planting churches, telling people about Jesus. How can you be the least of all the saints? You're the one who's like the guy to look up to. You're not the least of the saints. But what he's saying here is actually, I know myself that actually I'm the one who was persecuting the church, who was pulling people out of church, beating them up and even killing them if they were a Christian. I was the one who was persecuting Jesus. And only by Jesus or God's grace am I actually here where I am now. Because I had an encounter with God. My life was completely changed. All that stuff that I did was actually completely irrelevant because Jesus came and he had an encounter with me and my life has been changed ever since then. I understand grace more than anybody else because I should be the worst of all of the saints because of the things that I've done. But Paul also understands that it doesn't matter about those things that have happened to him and are done because once he had an encounter with Jesus, he was given the gift of grace and that was the thing that changed his life and enabled him to share the gospel with people. I think many of us, like Paul, know exactly what's happened in our past life. We know the things that we've done to hurt people. We know the lies that we've told. We know the things that we've stolen. We know the things, the times we were greedy or we were arrogant, we were selfish, we were full of pride. We know what exists in our past. And sometimes those things we let, we let them define us. And we go, I could never tell somebody else about Jesus because you know what? Actually, I've been so wrapped up in pornography that I could never do that. How can I tell somebody about Jesus but I'm watching something on the internet? How can I tell somebody about Jesus when actually I lied to my wife last week? How can I tell somebody about Jesus when all I think about is actually that I am the best person in the room at all times? And we let those things that exist in our past define us. But actually, once we understand the revelation of the fact that we've been given freedom in Jesus from all of those things, that our sins have been forgiven, that those things can be completely washed away, an understanding of that linked together with our past enables us to be able to share the gospel with people. Because we've experienced it. Because we've lived it. We're going, you know what? This was me, but Jesus took all of that away. That is how incredible Jesus is. Don't worry about your issues. Come to Jesus. He will take them away and come on a journey with Him. We don't need to be defined by the things of our past. We need to be defined by Jesus. And in this sentence, Paul says he was called to preach to the Gentiles. The Gentiles are a group of people that exist everywhere except the Jewish people. So basically all the people in the world who are not Jews were labeled as Gentiles. Okay? So Paul says, yeah, actually he had a revelation that the mystery of the gospel was revealed to him in verse 6. And what Grant shared with us last week is that the gospel and God were not just meant for the Jews, but actually it was meant for everybody in the world. Because Jesus came to die for everyone. It wasn't just an exclusive group of people. So Paul, in this instance, is preaching completely counterculturally to what everybody else believed at the time. The religious leaders still believed that God and the gospel were only meant for the Jews. And Paul came and said, you know what, actually, this gospel is so incredible, God should be able to me, this gospel is for everybody. 
It's not just for the sake of people. Use an exclusive term. And he said, I'm called to preach to the Gentiles about the unsearchable riches of Christ. And the riches that he speaks about are not wealth or jobs or prosperity in people's workplaces. The unsearchable riches of Christ are not a flashy car or a house or maybe even a spouse, if that's what you're looking for. The unsearchable riches have far more significance and eternal value than the prosperity gospel that people are preaching and listening to in this day and age. People at the moment are preaching and saying, if you come to Jesus, well, then your life will be right. If you come to Jesus, you will find a job. Watch this sermon and give me 10 rand and you will get 50,000 rand next month. That's the kind of prosperity junk that is being preached day in and day out in churches all across Durban and across the world. And Paul is not speaking about those riches at all. He's speaking about riches that have far more significant eternal value. The riches that he is speaking about, give you a couple, are reconciliations with God. The riches that he's speaking about include actually being molded together with even Jewish believers, people from different ages, races, and whatever we think of, into a group of people who united in Christ. The riches that he's speaking about are resurrection from death of sin for every single one of us, or victorious enthronement with Christ in heaven. The riches that he's speaking about are giving us access to God the Father and to be included into his kingdom and into his family. He's not speaking about physical money. He's speaking about eternal riches with Jesus Christ. That is what he is called to preach to the Gentiles, to every single person, is what Paul is saying. I've received this gift. I have an overwhelming responsibility to go and tell everybody about how amazing Jesus is, that they can be seated up in heaven one day with Jesus Christ. They can worship God for all eternity. They can be set free from their sins. Actually, that is what we can gain in Jesus. It's not come to Jesus and, yeah, you'll find a job. Well, actually, you'll be okay. Well, you'll find a spouse. He's saying there's so much more significant things out there because they have eternal, lasting value. And what I love about Paul in this moment is he understands the revelation of the gift of grace that he's been given, but he also understands the commission from that revelation. And he believes that those two things need to be tied together. He understands that the gift that he's been given should not be hidden for selfish gain, but should be shared with everybody to experience what he has experienced. To understand the gift that he understands. And John Stott comments, he's an amazing Christian commentator, he says this. He says, if men cannot keep their scientific discoveries to themselves, how much less should we keep ourselves these divine disclosures? So what he's saying is there's a guy out there in the Amazon, he's looking under a funny little rock, and he finds this tiny bug. Oh my gosh, it's blue, purple, yellow, and it's got black wings and red little feet, and it dances. It's incredible. No one has ever seen a bug like this before in their lives. Have a look, Sonia. <laughs> but this guy's jumping up and down, he's going, look at this bug that I found. It's incredible. It's amazing. It dances. And Paul and John start saying, who cares? Who cares about those guys who shout about their tiny little boat that they found? Actually, when we find Jesus, how can we keep it to ourselves? These dudes are telling the world about the little boat that they found. How much more should we be telling people about the incredible richness we find when we come to Jesus? He's saying, how can those guys be the ones who are telling them everything about their lives? Surely we as Christians who have an understanding of Jesus, of His gospel, of the grace that we experience in our lives, we should be the ones who are shouting on the rooftops about what we have found. Because Jesus is so much better than the bug that he created. I think it's an incredible comment from John Stott. If men cannot keep their scientific discoveries to themselves, how much less should we teach ourselves 
these divine disclosures. Now verse 9, it says, To bring to life for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages of God who created all things. And what's so interesting is we think verse 8 and verse 9 are so similar. In verse 8, he's called to preach to the Gentiles. In verse 9, he's called to preach to everyone, to bring to life to everyone. Because he's not just preaching to the Gentiles, he's preaching to all men and women who live in a place of the darkness of ignorance of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is talking about here in verse 9. He's saying, you know what, there might be people who have heard about Jesus, they might have been at a school or an assembly, or they've read something in their lives, and actually they know about Jesus, they know his story, they know who he is, but they don't actually understand the power of what he did for them. They don't understand the gospel, they don't understand what happened on the cross, they don't actually understand who Jesus is and what he did. They've heard about him, but they're living in a place of darkness, of ignorance, of the fact that actually they might not know everything about him. And I have been called that actually I would take them out of that place of darkness, into a place of life of understanding more about who he is and what he has done for them. So he's saying, I'm not just called to preach to the Gentiles, I'm called to preach to everybody who doesn't know enough about this incredible Savior called Jesus. And Paul then goes on to speak about the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. And he says that to be basically saying, remember God is sovereign, God is the one who created the universe. And actually this plan of him revealing the gospel to me, revealing it to people, revealing it to the Gentiles and to all mankind, actually that is God's sovereign plan. That is God's sovereign plan that was created before the world, that actually he would unfold this incredible plan of calling the church to share the incredible gospel and the riches of his grace to other people with one another, to share the gospel with people who do not know him. That is God's sovereign plan, that actually some people might be able to come to know him out of the church understanding the gift of grace that they've been given. And in verse 10, it says something that's pretty weird. It says, So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And you're probably sitting there thinking, okay, cool. So the only part that they're brought up is the church being ministering to other people. And that actually the church now is making known the manifold wisdom of God to the heavenly, what does it say? To be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So the church is telling the angels and the demons about the gospel of God. And the church here is making known the, the manifold wisdom of God to the heavenly realms. The manifold here in the original Greek is actually speaking to something that they would have used to describe flowers um, and beautiful embroidered cloths and crowns because they were so multicolored. And we see here a parallel where actually the angels would have been blown away by God's incredible grace and His plan to see Jews and Gentiles come together in a church in a world where they would have been completely divided now, actually being together in a multi-ethnic, multicultural community of people who are united in Jesus Christ. And the angels watch that and go, wow, God, you are amazing. The fact that actually you could strip away all natural human um, eyes of difference to be able to not go and meet that group of people, you've stripped all of that away because people are united in Jesus Christ. And that, Jesus of God, is absolutely incredible. The angels are seeing God's power at play when the church is united from different ages, spaces, and races. And I think that is so cool. He says not only the angels are witnessing this, but even the demonic um, powers that be in the heavenly places, they're looking on it in fear and going, oh my gosh, check out these people who you 
are united in Christ. They have access. They have a relationship to God the Father. They understand the gift of grace that they've been given. They're even sharing the gospel with other people. They see God's power and glory displayed in the church, understanding the gospel of grace, but also outworking their lives together as a community of people. He says, even the demons are watching this unfold and are awed and tremble in fear at the power of God at work in this local church. Because God's grace and glory are displayed in a diverse people who are multicolored, multicultural, and multi-ethnic. Church of people who have been called, who have been redeemed, who have been forgiven, and are united in Jesus Christ. In the message version it says, Through followers of Jesus like yourselves gathered in churches, this extraordinary plan of God is becoming known and talked about even among the angels. And I think that's so cool because that verse says, you know what guys, this is not just Paul. This is not just Paul who's out there preaching and teaching and planting churches. And you know what, actually it's not just him, it's everybody. It's all followers of Jesus in the local church who actually are telling everybody about Jesus, about how incredible he is. They're sharing the gospel, sharing it to the point that so much that even the angels are talking about it. Because they're looking on and they're seeing God's glory and power and manifold wisdom at play, in action. And that is incredible. In verse 11 to 12, it says, This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So Paul ends off this chapter by saying, You know what? This incredible gospel was made known to me. The mystery was revealed to me so that I would share it with you, so that you would be able to share it with other people, and that also the angels would then know about God's sovereign plan to roll out this incredible gospel. And God's plan originally was actually that we would be able to spend eternity with Him. And He completed that plan by Jesus' death on a cross and resurrection from the grave. And that's what He says here. This was according to the eternal purpose that we realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. It was completed when Jesus was dead on a cross and then raised from the dead. He defeated sin and He defeated death in those moments. And Paul says, once we understand what Jesus did for us, once we understand that actually He comes to die in our place, that we can be completely forgiven, when we have faith in Him and we believe in Him, then we can become sons and daughters of God. Then we can have access to God the Father. We can approach God with full confidence because now God sees us as He sees Jesus. He sees us perfect, without sin and shame and guilt, because actually we have been completely forgiven from those things. I think it's a pretty cool passage, don't you? I think it's amazing to see the grace of God at work. And Paul, in an understanding of what that gift of grace is that he's been given, and that actually it's stirring him to share that gift of grace with other people. But it's got to leave us thinking, where to from here? What does that mean for us? It's not just a cool story, but it's a stirring story of God at work in Paul's life, in the church's life, in the city of Ephesus, or maybe even Durban for us today. And I think what it does is it prompts us and it reminds us of the incredible gift of grace that we've received from Jesus dying on the cross. And all we've got to do is believe in Him. We're reminded of the access that we have to God the Father through Jesus. We're reminded that actually we've been set free from all that junk that existed in our lives. 
and even the junk that maybe we go through on a day-to-day basis, that we can run to Jesus, we can ask Him for forgiveness, and we can still have a relationship with God. We're reminded of the gospel that exists in our own lives. It wasn't just an event when we got saved, or when we came to know Jesus when you were 4, 5, 21, 25 years ago. But actually it's an ongoing understanding of the fact that Jesus is making us clean. And we can run to Him at any one point in time. And this reminder and revelation of the fact that we can experience Jesus, that we can experience the gospel, that our lives can be completely changed, should be prompting us to tell other people about it. And I think reading this passage, we've got to be thinking, okay, do I understand the gospel? Do I understand Jesus? Who should I be telling this incredible gift of grace to or about? Who should I be sharing the gospel with? Because maybe we know people in our workplaces, in our family, in our friendship groups who do not know who Jesus is. They might never have heard of his name. Or maybe they have, but they're living in a place of darkness. And maybe we need to be sharing the gospel so that they can be enlightened to the incredible power of Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter 2 verse 9, it says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. What I love about this scripture is it says, But you are a chosen people. I've chosen every single one of you who know me by name. And you know what? Not only have I chosen you, but you are a royal priesthood. So Grant is not the only pastor in the room. Actually, all of us are called to be priests. We as a church are a royal priesthood that we would understand the gospel of grace and we would minister to other people. Peter saying. We've got to think about those people in our lives who do not know Jesus. Who may be willing to engage in a conversation. But the problem is when we watch the soccer of the World Cup, we think that we can play like those players. And we realize that actually we can't. When we read these stories of Paul, we think, oh, I'm going to go and plant a church tomorrow. But actually, we're not all going to be Paul's tomorrow. And it kind of scares us a little bit. We don't have to be Paul's. But what this passage is calling us to do is to actually begin to share our lives with other people. To start somewhere. Not to hide our Bible or hide the fact that we went to church today when people ask you, hey, what did you do on the weekend? Um, I watched a movie. No, actually, I went to church yesterday, and you know what, this is what happened, it was so cool. I met this person afterwards, and we had a cup of coffee, and then we went for lunch, and yeah, I mean, you know, I go to church. But how many of us actually have the fact that we go to church away from our colleagues at work? And I'm not asking us to be poor, but I'm saying maybe we should begin to share a little bit more about our lives with other people, because maybe those people are going to be meeting Jesus in the next three to six to twelve months. We can begin by being more intentional about our lives with the people who don't know Jesus. So actually, when we have an understanding of this gift of grace, and we think, who can we share this gospel with? That we can start saying, oh, maybe I actually need to reconnect with that person. Or maybe, you know what, they're going through a tough time. But actually, I'd love to ask them if I could just pray for them. And we can be a little bit more intentional about meeting up with people who don't know Jesus. And I'm not asking you to sit down and write a list and put it all into your diaries and your calendars. I'm not asking you to force people to sit down with you and have a conversation about the gospel. I don't think that's going to work. To illustrate that, I'll tell you a story. When I was in university in 2009, we used to meet once a week. We used to talk about the Bible, we used to pray for the campus, we used to pray that maybe Jesus would come and that people would meet him. And one of the people on that day was running that hour on Thursday at 12 o'clock. They were sharing about sharing the gospel with other people. 
And we pray that Jesus would come, that Jesus would encounter people, that other people might come to know this incredible Jesus who we need. So we did that for half an hour. In the next 30 minutes, I said, you know what? Go out. Leave this room and let's go out into the campus and let's go and share the gospel with somebody. Let's go and tell somebody about Jesus. Whew, it's scary. When somebody says, cool, guys, we're going to now go and do it. We're not just going to talk about it. We're not just going to pray about it. Let's actually go out and do it. So we went off in pairs, you know, as Christians do. <laughs> and um, I was talking to this girl, walking around, like, who should we chat to? God, who, who should we speak to? And there were three Muslim girls in front of us. And this girl said, look, I don't want to start talking to these women. I said, okay. And uh, we went up and I asked them, I said, look, you know, we're Christian and we'd love to talk to you about Jesus. Would you be willing to engage in a conversation? Of course. They were very open to it. They said, yeah, no problem. Um, and we started to chat about who Jesus was. We started to chat about um, the fact that actually he came to earth to die on a cross to forgive them of their sins. And I said, you know, you need forgiveness. And it was quite a offensive approach on my part, were quite forward, that they were very offended by. They took huge offense to the fact that I said that they need forgiveness, that they were sinners, the fact that they had done things wrong in their life. And they literally turned around and said to me, who do you think you are? Coming to me to tell me that I'm a sinner, to tell me that I have done things wrong in my life, and to top that all off, that I need your God, that I need Jesus. And these three Muslim girls, highly offended, walked away. It's a moment I'll never forget. It's a moment I'm deeply offended by for myself, that I completely regret. Um, I failed terribly in that moment, because the only thing that I was thinking in that moment was how can I convert them to come into a relationship with Jesus? I didn't love them. I didn't have an understanding of actually Jesus' gift of grace in my life. I didn't tell them the things that I've experienced in him, the things that I've been set free from, the sins that have been washed away in my life. I didn't tell them about this incredible gift of grace that I've received. I just tried to convert them. And they walked away highly offended. I had no idea what I was doing. And I realized that day that people are not gospel projects for Christians. That actually we should rather be sharing our lives with people as we journey with them, as we introduce them to Jesus, as we introduce them to the concept of church, as we introduce them to friends, family, um, with colleagues, that actually there is a Jesus and my life has been changed because of them. And we do that out of a place of love for them, that we would share our lives with them. So practically, what should we be doing so you can avoid doing what I did? Because honestly it wasn't fun, it was horrible, it's something that is deeply etched into my memory. Because those three girls will probably never want to talk about Jesus again, if we're honest. I hope and pray that actually they will meet him someday. I think first of all, what we need to do as people is have an understanding of Jesus and, and being able to minister to other people. We should begin to pray for people. We need to be praying that actually they would come and meet Jesus one day. That maybe we would find ourselves in a conversation where they're inquisitive, where we share our lives with them, that would unlock a conversation that introduces them to the person of Jesus, and to who he is, and to what he did for them. We need to be praying for people who do not know Jesus in our lives. That's where we have to start. Because as we begin to pray for people, we inside of ourselves develop an incredible love for them. We develop inside of ourselves the same love that Jesus has for them. And we won't just try and convert them, we will actually love them enough 
to point them to Jesus in a way that is relevant and suitable for them and their space. We won't offend them if we've been praying for them and asking God for words and His Holy Spirit to come upon us and empower us in a conversation to be able to say the right thing at the right time, that actually they would be able to meet Jesus in a life-changing and incredible way. And they can experience the gift of grace that we have received in our lives. We wouldn't just go in there guns blazing, trying to convert them to come to know Jesus, but out of a deep place of love, that actually we would have a conversation that would unlock something, and they could meet Jesus Christ. I think secondly, we need to ourselves have an understanding of the testimony of God's grace in our lives. What has God done in us? Do we understand the gift of grace that we've received? Do we understand the gift of what Jesus Christ has given us? Do we understand our background and our upbringing before we met Jesus? Do we understand what our lives used to look like before we even met Him? And what was that moment in which we met Him? What did it look like? What happened? What was the revelation that we had? What happened in that moment that actually we wanted to cross the line of faith and give our lives to Jesus? That we would believe in Him with our hearts? What was that moment like in comparison to what happened before? Because Jesus is the hero of our stories. And if we don't know what our testimonies look like, if we don't know what our lives have been changed by, by being introduced to Jesus, by understanding the gift of grace that we've been given by Him, how are we in a conversation going to be able to tell other people about Him? Rather actually sit down by yourself in your lounge, in your bedroom, wherever, and write out your testimony and read it over again. Does it make sense? Would I be able to tell this to somebody else about Jesus and be able to tell them the gift of grace that I've received in my life? Because if you can't even put it down on a pen and paper, how are you going to have a conversation with somebody about what Jesus has done in your life? So we need to have a revelation of the gospel that we encounter on a day-to-day basis. We need to have a much better understanding of the gift of grace that we have received before we can share it with other people. Maybe more specifically, you have no idea where you're going to start. If you have no idea about how you're ever going to share the gospel with somebody, Maybe you can introduce somebody to, or buy a ticket for somebody downstairs to come and join us on Peace Night on the 19th of July. Actually, there may be somebody in your life who might be able to, or might show some interest in coming to church one day. But maybe they feel a little bit lonely. I'm not going to know anybody. It's awkward. There's just like a whole bunch of people in a room. I'm just going to sit at the back. And that's like the thing that's stopping them. Why don't you buy an extra ticket? Why don't you invite them on the 19th of July to our Peace Night? Because we as a people, we love Jesus. We love people, and we love food. I love food. I'm actually on a health track at the moment. It's incredibly hard. Walking past Great Egg is it. Just walk. But actually, I think the feast night is a great night to invite somebody who, you know what, you've had conversations about Jesus, you've had conversations with about church, they haven't come to know who Jesus is yet, but it might be a great space to invite them, where we're not going to preach, we're not going to do worship, we're just going to get together, we're going to eat, drink, and be merry, and they can meet other people. And maybe in a month's time when you invite them to church, they, they might come and sit down with the person that they had dinner with two or three weeks ago. So it's a great place to start. And for a lot of us, maybe, secondly, as a practical thing, why don't you come and join us um, this week at the plant on the 12th of July, where we're going to be talking about faith and work. Because that's the main place in which actually God has called us to minister. Where God has called us to share the gospel. That actually, that's the place that we spend most of our time. And I think that on, on Thursday night, actually, we'll be able to talk to other Christians and people about how do we live out this thing of work and faith? What does it mean for us? Is this the place that God has called us to minister and to share the gospel with people? So if you don't know where to start, come on Thursday night to the plant. 
and join us in the understanding, actually, what does God call us to in our workplace? And what does that look like? Because I think the thing that I love about this passage is that it's not just about going to tell other people about Jesus, but it's actually a much better understanding and a deeper revelation of who Jesus is and what he has done for each and every single one of us. I think that is what Paul has called us to, is a deeper revelation of the gift of grace that we have received from Jesus Christ. It's not about the things that we've done, it's about what he did on the cross that washes our sins away and sets us free. And as a result of that, that actually our understanding would then urge us to share the gospel with other people. That the gospel would propel us to be a people on mission, to tell other people about the gift that we've received, to share the gift of grace with other people. That we wouldn't just keep those gifts hidden for ourselves, but actually we'd be a community of people who knows and loves Jesus and we want other people to experience the same thing that we do. Please won't you stand with me.
pray, Jesus, that you would come upon us with power, Holy Spirit, in conversations, in spaces, with colleagues, with work, with family, that where maybe something would be said or spoken about that would just unlock the name of Jesus Christ in that conversation, where we would be able to speak boldly and confidently about who you are, Jesus. We would tell our testimony and our story of our journey with you and the things that you have come to set us free from and the sins that you have washed away because we have been reconciled to God the Father through the blood of Jesus. I pray for those conversations in our weeks and months ahead, God, that Holy Spirit, you would come and empower and give us words in those moments, that we would see the gospel being shared by people in this room, Jesus. God, for those of you, us who don't know you, we have never met you before. We don't actually know about the power of what you did on the cross for us, Jesus. I pray that they would come running to you today. And if that's you, I'd love to maybe make ourselves available at the front. If you want to come and chat and find out more about who Jesus is, we'll be here afterwards.